The lesson is found in Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, which you will find on page 1062. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to, to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Now, thanks to Peter for bringing our reading to us this morning. So as we come to God's word now, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that your written word of Scripture may now and always be our rule. Your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As I'm sure everyone will remember, last Sunday was Easter Day, when we focused on the glorious reality of the risen Christ, and when we used again these great words of acclamation, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. And today, we'll be thinking about the evening of that day, the first day of God's recreation through the resurrection of Jesus. And on that evening, the remaining disciples were all together in a locked room for fear of their lives. After what had happened to Jesus, could they be next? After all they had experienced such a roller coaster of emotions in such a very short period of time, from the excitement and expectation of Palm Sunday, through the Last Supper, the arrest, the hasty trial, and the sheer horror and brutality of the crucifixion, 
as their Lord and leader was so savagely wrenched away from them. What did it all mean? After all, what had it all been for? They'd invested so much in him over the past three years. Had it all been in vain? And now that he had gone, what was their future? These frightened men hiding behind locked doors. But strange things were beginning to unfold on that day. Early in the morning, as soon as the sun rose, the women of the disciple group went to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. They took spices with them to anoint the body and to complete the burial. And when they got there, they found the stone had been rolled away in front of the tomb. In amazement, they wondered what had happened. They were completely shell-shocked. And then they were met by angels who gave them the staggering news, He has risen. And now as we approach the evening, we meet Cleopas and his companion, who've run all the way back from Emmaus in the dark, leaving their supper uneaten. And they told the disciples how they met the risen Lord through the breaking of the bread. And as they were still talking about this, and trying to take it all in, Jesus himself, stood among them and spoke to them. If you've been with us here on Good Friday for our meditation, you'll remember that we focused on Jesus' seven words from the cross. This morning, I'd like us to look at Jesus' three words in the upper room. Peace be with you. Touch me and see, this is what I told you. And in time-honoured fashion, for reasons I hope which will become clear, we're going to take them in reverse order. So this is what I told you. And had been trying to tell them for almost a year. But like so many of them, their hearing had been selective. Paul Simon of Simon and Garfungal wrote a song called The Boxer. In it, there is this line, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest, which pretty much sums up the disciples. It had begun at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked the disciples the crucial question, who do you say that I am? They had been with him for two years and had ample evidence on which to base a judgment. And when Peter put into words what they were all thinking, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus immediately began to tell them what sort of Messiah he was and what he had come to do. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. We are told he spoke plainly about this as he wanted to prepare them for what he knew was to come. 
And from this point on in the Gospels, Jesus continually returned to this theme. But we are told that what well, for whatever reason, they were unable to understand. And those Jewish leaders who were also around at the time, they didn't understand, but they certainly heard and were so alarmed that after the crucifixion, they asked Pilate to post a guard at Jesus' tomb when he was buried, saying, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, as they saw it, said, after three days I will rise again. They feared the disciples would steal the body and claim he had risen, which he had, but without their help. And now these leaders and these disciples had seen it all come to be, exactly as he said it would be. And in that upper room, he opened their minds to the scriptures, just as he had done so beautifully to the couple on the Emmaus Road. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything that is written about me must be fulfilled in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And what we get here is this picture is of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus in all its parts as a consistent divine purpose is worked out. And the problem for the disciples was their failure to accept the whole of biblical prophecy. They'd no doubt seized on the prediction of the glory of the Messiah and thought perhaps they'd seen it come into being on Palm Sunday. But it was quite another thing to take to heart the prophecies the pointy to the darker side of his mission, like the suffering servant in Isaiah. Written in the prophets as it was, the Christ must suffer, but also to rise again and enter his glory. They'd been there. They'd seen at first hand the enormity of his suffering. And now in this room before their very eyes, the risen Christ was there with them. As he had vanished from the sight from the two at Emmaus, so he appeared to them through the locked door. Who was this? What were they seeing? Was it a ghost? And then a new fear gripped them. But Jesus lovingly puts their minds at rest. He says to them, touch me and see. Touch me and see. It is I myself, he assures them. Which brings us to the question at the heart of the Easter story. What sort of body did Jesus have? How could it at the same time be solid and real with flesh and bones able to eat baked fish and also to appear and to disappear at will. 
We often think that resurrection simply means life after death. But in the Jewish world of the first century, they had a much broader concept. To them, it meant a new embodied life in God's new creation. The new body which will be given at the end is not identical to the previous one. In an act of new creation, parallel only to the original creation itself, God will make a new type of material, no longer subject to death, out of the old one. And in Jesus' case, of course, this happened straight away, without his original body decaying, so that the new body was a transformation of the old one. For the rest of us, it'll take a complete act of re-creation. The new body will belong in both dimensions of God's world, in both earth and heaven, which as we see at the end of Revelation, will gloriously come together in a new heaven and a new earth. At the moment, our bodies are earthly only. But one day we'll be transformed to be like Jesus' resurrection body in a wonderful moment of recreation. And it is that that we're remembering and celebrating today. Since I have been a minister, one of the great privileges and responsibilities I have had is to be with people in their time of grief and to conduct funeral services. The service is rooted in the truth and reality of the resurrection, beginning with these opening words. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And all through my Christian life, I'd always believed this. But I can remember that moment when it took on a much deeper and more profound reality. I was taking a funeral service in a packed All Saints church over in Weston. And into this daunting environment, I spoke the words of the collect, which included these words. Renew our trust in your Son, whom you raised from the dead. Strengthen our faith that all who have died in the love of Christ will share in his resurrection. And it struck me then so forcibly that the only way I could stand before all these people and have any integrity was because what I was saying was completely and utterly true. This was no pie in the sky when you die, designed to make people feel better. This was the glorious truth that all creation is working towards as the sovereign Lord works out his purposes. And as Jesus makes clear to his disciples in the upper room. And as he begins to direct their thoughts ahead, to what those purposes might be, he first of all speaks to them words of peace. Peace 
be with you, says Jesus. Peace be with you. And they understand what he's saying just as instantly as they see him. Because it confronts them. They are startled. It is as frightening and it is liberating. Something is beginning. And if it is good for them, it also must be offered to all. They know they are part of it. Not just part of its receiving, but part of its giving. It is peace for the whole world, for those who are far off as well as those who are near. And it will be costly. It is a peace that is far beyond the half-kept treaties of the world. It is a peace that others will try to destroy, for it threatens their own power <coughs> excuse me, to exclude and control. A stone is rolled away, and a rejected stone is now the centerpiece of a new building, a new city. And this sends tremors round the world, and in their wake the mighty tremble on their thrones. And because this new peace promises everything, it will require everything. The world must be reconfigured and recreated around it. The peace of Christ is reconciliation, painfully embraced, a new beginning. As with those disciples in the upper room, each of us has to work out what it means in practice, in the day-to-day -day business of our lives. For what is being offered is the very peace that Jesus spoke about on the night before he died, at the Last Supper. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And it starts where reconciliation must always start, with forgiveness. So of course they're frightened, they know that they need to be forgiven for the way they've let Jesus down. They also sense what they might be asked to do next. They thought it was all over. It was only just beginning. Because of what he'd achieved on the cross, becoming the victim, the suffering one, bearing the sins of everyone, He's able to offer peace, forgiveness, and the chance to start again. And as he stood among them, he spoke into their fear. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. And as they looked upon the wounds of his suffering. They saw the future and at the same time found the present transformed. And this was when fear turned to rejoicing, when they saw and touched the reality of it all. It was only later, after the Pentecost that Jesus alludes to, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city 
until you have been clothed from power from on high, that they really begin to fully understand. But on this evening, he was there with them, and they could never go back from the truth of this moment. He even asked for food. It was the evening of the first day of the new beginning, the evening of the eternal day. And they gathered, and the Lord was in their midst, and they ate and they drank. And that is what they would carry on doing until the table of their fellowship on earth becomes the banquet of heaven. As we shall remember shortly, when we gather together around the communion table. Shalom, peace be with you, was the traditional greeting of the day. And it was now given new significance and meaning by the resurrection. And the challenge for us, for each one of us, is to live it and to share it. So as now together we reflect on God's word to us this morning, and as we each one prepare to come to the Lord's table, we're going to share with one another a sign of that peace, that shalom. Because on that first evening, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The peace of the Lord be always with you. So let us share with one another a sign of that peace. Please really understand. <laughs> 